a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Utah's best athletes count on flexibility, speed, strength. And the Jazz pick up their 22nd assist. So they count on University of Utah help. Brielle Soleil puts this game away. And so can you. Leading doctors, a world-class environment, award-winning innovation, care to be great. 14 unanswered by the Utes. University of Utah Health, caring for Utah's best and yours. Schedule your appointment now at uofuhealth.org slash care to be great. Okay, hello, welcome to the Utah Puck Report. We are back. Jay Stevens, Gary Michaels is here. Yo. Uh, we're excited to be back. We've got lots of stuff to talk about. Special guests today. Oh, wait, I got to pump. I got to pump Jersey Mike's. Yes, Jersey Mike's Jersey is Mike's. our sponsor. Um, I got to tell you, I, I catered. I was in a, a leadership class with the fire department, and I called Jersey Mike's. I'm like, hey, we need all these sandwiches. They're like, we'll bring them. And they were awesome. They they catered to everybody. We had we had all their stuff. We had their sub in a tub, which means you can get it without bread. It's fantastic. So, dude, they just uh, opened one across the street from my house. Super pumped. Been there yeah. about four times already. Yeah, it's so nice. It's so <laughs> nice. And and in my world, that's healthy compared to everything else I eat. So, it's uh it's good stuff. All right, special guests. We've got Nick Howard, fresh out of the AHL, fresh back home. Uh, Nick, welcome. Thanks for having me, Jay. Uh, you spent the season in Ontario with the LA Kings Farm Club. Yep. Yeah. Spent uh, from like January to uh, late May. Yeah, and uh, that's awesome. And you were there with the other Utah AHL player with uh, with Brickley, and that's that's cool. So we'll get into that. Our other special guest today, uh, constantly uh, on the show, is Evan Stofflet. How's it going? It's been a while. Yeah, it's been a while. Well, that's what's that's what's happening with all of us. We uh, don't have a lot to talk about, so. You know, when hockey's barely playing, I can just, uh, I mean, I can talk for hours, but I probably should have something to talk about. And when my kid stopped playing, when his season ended, I felt like we were playing more hockey after because, you know, going over to this clinic and then he's in a little mini tournament. It's crazy. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, what's really been weird is all of a sudden all the rinks are open. Like County said, hey, uh, the Wicked Witch is dead. COVID is, is what it is now, but we're going to move forward. And then I got the phone call. They're like, hey, we have ice. Uh, you want to you wanna pick up your Monday nights that you used to have? I was like, yeah. And they're like, do you want Wednesdays too? I was like, yeah. And then next thing I know, for the last two weeks, I played Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. After going like two years with getting one or two s- sessions a month or going a year. So that, that's been yeah. awesome. Best yeah, shape of your so, life now, huh? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> that's the worst part about it and i think every uh every men's leaguer out there and especially the goalies i've noticed it 
I have never seen it where like at the 45 minute mark, the goalies are down on one knee after there's a bunch of series in their, in their area. And it's, it, so I thought it was just me at first, which would have been sad, but I've noticed it with basically every other goalie I'm playing with. We're like on one knee gasping for air. And uh, so, yeah, yep. it's going to take more of these uh, four day a week sessions to get that cardio back. You can't like, I go to the gym some I, I walk past the cardio stuff. Sometimes I do it. Most of the time I don't, but I'm in overall better shape than I've been in since having kids with the dad bod and all. But hockey shape, I'm not in it at all right now. There's just something about that uh cardio. Right, Gary? Oh yeah. Dude, I, I was feeling you when I when I hadn't played for a long time. First time jumping in that I'm not a real goalie. <laughs> well, neither am I. I was like, and then, and then, and then they're letting us have extra time, right? The Zam's not coming on. It's like, right. Yeah. Oh, I'm 15. I'm like, I'm dying. You gotta go. I did that last night too. I asked the guy last night, I said, Hey, just sit. Cause I have an hour 15, but they've been leaving. Like you said, they don't come in on and, and kick you off. And I'm like, just start the clock 75 minutes. Let it run down. I'm getting off. Those guys can have the ice. They can do whatever they want. All right, so uh, I want to get into talking about uh, the AHL. And, Nick, this was your first year pro. You just finished up your four-year stint at Colorado College. And uh, tell us what it was like from signing a contract, how you ended up in Ontario, and what it was like reporting to camp when it finally started. Okay. Um, yeah, it was, it was really weird because I signed super early compared to a lot of other guys. I signed in, like, April of – um, last year. So I signed with no start date and that was really weird. So just training, you know, trying to stay ready or whatever. But then I got the call, um, January 1st and I had to be out there as soon as possible to start the quarantine. Um, the COVID protocols there were pretty serious, like all year, uh, we were getting COVID tested every day and had to wear your mask everywhere. And, um, just kind of the whole nine yards, uh, cause you know, it, it was a tough enough season to put together and I don't think anybody, including, you know, the league wanted to have to cancel games because people weren't following pro- protocol. So it was pretty, pretty tight ship in that sense. Um, reporting camp was really cool. Uh, you know, like first pro year, we practiced out of the same facility as the Kings. So walking into the rink, it was pretty sweet. You saw like, you know, Dowdy and Kopitar and, all those guys and just casually walking by them saying, Hey, what's up? Just like they're, you know, right there. And so that was really cool and kind of eye opening. but you see how hard all these guys work every day. And um, it's pretty cutthroat and competitive. Like you got to be dialed every, every day, you know, it's, it's literally your job. So um, I think that was a bit of an adjustment to get used to is becoming a good pro. Uh, It's like an everyday thing, you know, as literally from when you walk into the rink, uh, to when you leave, you're being analyzed on how you carry yourself, how you pass every puck, how you interact with your teammates. And it's, uh, it's, it's quite different from college in that sense. Uh, Cause you know, college, you're kind of locked in for four years with the same guys. And so <clears throat> that's a bit different, but um, overall I had a, I had a really cool experience living in California. I was really close to the beach and um, you know, getting my first taste of uh, pro hockey and getting my feet wet. It was, uh, it was overall pretty good experience. So I know there's a lot of things that uh, you can't say or you wouldn't say, but 
the minute the season started, I, I jumped on. I think I even texted you. I'm like, hey, man, I just bought the AHL package. I'll be watching every game. And uh, <laughs> and Tegan and I watched the games and, and analyzed a lot of the games and then kind of analyzed the other stuff that's going on. And there's a big deal, right? They have their, their first-round draft pick uh, with Byfield. Is that his? I said that right? Yeah. Yep. Can't remember if it's okay. So they have they have guys like that, right? That their their scouts are vested in, and they basically have to give those guys a lot of playing time to make sure that they they look like they did their job drafting. And then they sign guys that didn't get drafted. And we've seen it in the past. There are guys that tear up the NHL that didn't get drafted, or you got like Pavel Datsuk, who was a what was he an eighth round pick, right? He was. You know, you have guys that fall through the draft and can prove themselves, but they have to not only prove themselves. And I think this is where you fell into the category. And I don't want you to say anything that, you know, might jeopardize your future or whatever, but you fall into this category of you have to prove yourself not only as a pro, but you have to prove yourself twice as much as the guy that got drafted. Does that sound accurate? Yeah, it definitely sounds, you know, for the most part accurate. I mean, uh, I think you summed it up well, you know, the teams are invested in these kids that they pick and, you know, there's a lot of good hockey players in the world. Um, and it, uh, it's, it's tough. Cause like you said, they, they want to look good. So definitely the opportunity might be, um, given to them early on, they're definitely going to get the looks first, but, uh, being an undrafted player and coming in out of college, you know, you have to really make the most of every opportunity you're given, and that might be changing your game to fit a fourth line role, which I had to do for the most of the year. Um, yeah, which is and- totally different from what you're used to, right? You're a you're a two time Hobie, like your name came up in the Hobie Baker. Yeah, and, yeah, sure. and you're a you're a scorer, you're a first line power play, specialty team kind of guy. And now, and that's the thing that a lot of people don't understand. And here with our Utah Grizzlies fans, they're like, "Hey, we've got a guy in the East Coast League that's tearing up the East Coast." And then he gets pulled up. Ryan Kanasiewicz is going to be my best example for this. And Evan, you can back this up. Is Kanasiewicz tears it up down here. Same thing. He's a scorer. He's a, he's a power play guy. He gets pulled up to the AHL and put on the fourth line. Fourth line is typically a grind line. You're not going to get any power play time. Your scoring opportunities are going to be way less. Yeah, uh, definitely. I mean, once you get to these levels, uh, you know, the top guys in the coast, the AHL, the NHL, everyone is coming from teams where they were the go-to guy. So you can't have a full team of super of superstars that just want to score goals. Cause that's not how teams win games. I mean, some of the most important lines in the playoffs, as you're seeing are, you know, third, fourth lines that chip away or shut down the top, top teams, uh, other offensive line. And so I think uh, realizing what role they want you to play. And if you can play it to a T while you sprinkle in, you know, your game, I think that's, maybe the best way to to further yourself in your career is you know adapt right, your to whatever yeah adapt to whatever they're trying to get you to do while keeping your game to where like keep keep doing what you you were doing to get where you got but also manipulate your game so you're not turning the puck over at the blue and forcing plays that aren't there and stuff like that right sure right, that makes That'll- sense that'll give you a lot of longevity as you get older and realize that teams know, because obviously they, they looked into you before they signed you. They know you have that offensive upside, but they don't use that now, but they know if something happens, 
you get that shot to get slotted in there, you're, you know, you can, you can go in any situation knowing yeah. that you're, you can be successful in that and being that useful to teams. Well, that the sooner you can realize that it seems like you have, which is great. You know, it, it's, that'll help you play a long time, all, you know, and great opportunities and knowing that a team can get this, this, and this out of you. Perfect. They're, that's money well spent. Yeah. Well, well said. Evan, Evan, you battled that a couple different times. I remember at the university of Vermont, you had a coaching change. Yep. And so uh, now you have a guy come in that goes and recruits his own players. So you're moving on to your junior and senior year where you're, you should be filling these, the higher roles, the line one, line two roles. But you have a new coach who's like, I promised this other guy that if he came to Vermont with me, I'd give him power play time. So I'm going to do that over Evan. Cause I remember reading articles about you and like, you know, you had a, a, a projected future that I think your coaching change at Vermont steered to the left a little bit. Like, so you had to battle through that adversity too. So that's another thing we're not talking about. Yeah. You're undrafted, but there's also those times where you have a coaching change and that guy puts his, his name on somebody else and wants them to be more successful to make them look better as a coach. Is yeah. I mean, yeah, that, that definitely happens. You know, it's, different relationships, different coaches, different times. Um, you know, it's one of those things where that probably helped me in the long run, I guess, be able to play all the kind of weird places I did because I've had to learn to adapt at a, you know, at a pretty early, early spot. And, you know, even if you don't agree with it or whatever, you still have to put in what you can to get the playing time that you are going to get. And if it's not that much, you, you have to deal with not that much and being ready to chip in when you can, where you can. And that's different for a pro who has 65 games to a college guy that's got 30 games or 35 games to prove that because you have more opportunity for somebody else mm-hmm. to get hurt. But I want to emphasize again, when I do these podcasts, I want to, I, I'm like, I want to make sure that the people that are listening that have kids like what Gary's going through right now. Nick said something that I think nailed it on the head as a pro and I think this kind of this kind of conversation nails it for a lot of people. You're being analyzed on everything every day as a pro. But and, and he said that includes when you're interacting with your teammates and when you're interacting with, you know, on the ice, every pass, whatever. But that interaction with teammates, because it's easy to say, uh, screw this guy. Like I, I should be there. I should be this guy. I should be getting power play time. And you can, you think you're in an environment where you can vent to your teammate, but then that gets overheard by the guy next to you or whatever. And ultimately that gets back to the coach, right? So you kind of got to, you got to have yeah. this, this attitude where, yeah, I know that I'm in a bad situation for me right now, or I'm in a situation that I got to work my way out of. Yeah. I think Evan actually, phrased it pretty well about, you know, teams looking at you as an asset that can do A, B, C, D. And I think being an easy, good teammate, you know, supporting the team and being competitive. And that's just another feather in the cap that they say, okay, look, this guy can do this, 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 and he's a good teammate and he has a good locker room presence and it goes a long way. So just being a good dude in general and not, you know, trying to be selfish and whatnot. I think, I think it gets noticed for sure. At your job. I mean, if you're multi, yeah, exactly. you can do multiple yeah. things. Yeah. If, if you're working for your teammate, a lot of times they're going to work for you. You know, um, you chip the puck and they go and get it. They give it back to you. You know, you made the smart, simple play. Maybe you want to do something else, but you know, it, it, you help each other out. 
because not one person there's I take the fact there's very few single players that can you know ultimately change everything drastically you know you you need your winger defenseman goalie whatever to kind of help you get where you want to go and in turn you know you should want to return that favor so Gary when you're when your kids are going through tryouts and this is one of the things we want to talk about too is when your kids are going through tryouts or uh your kids don't make the team they wanted to be on or they do make a team but now they're a fourth line kid do you have that opportunity to tell them or do they listen to a dad first off do they do you say hey this is a chance for you to be something be positive in the locker room go in and do do your best now and don't gripe about what happens well rarely do they listen to the dad right <laughs> it's usually <laughs> don't, don't talk to me but uh no so like um my son keegan he tried out last year for the uh, junior grizzlies and there was it was like our first year that i wasn't help coaching or you know our buddy was coaching or whatever he, he tried out didn't know anyone makes the team and it's, and i'm like you did this on your own you know, you didn't know anybody, no coaches, no, I had nothing to do with it. And, uh, I could tell he was, he, he kind of, you know, he was like, yeah, I did. he was like really kind of flipped the switch for him, you know? So he was pretty excited and he had a great season, but, um, I know the first time we tried out for the Grizz and he didn't make it and, uh, he was, he was fine. You know, he's just like, mm. so we went and played house and he just likes hockey, <laughs> you know? Perfect. Yeah. And that's one of the one of the things. Uh, so I was lucky enough to always have uh, Jean-Paul Parisi as a as a sounding board. And when I'd get frustrated with something that was going on with my son and his his options, right? And I remember it was uh, Tegan's seventh grade year, and he he was being recruited by uh, Shattuck St. Mary to play there. And I thought that was the greatest thing in the world, but he didn't want to go. And I was like, I was like, JP, how do I? how do I talk him into going to Shattuck? And he goes, why on earth would you talk him into coming here? He's like, let him do what I don't care if he goes to the pond every day and just plays pickup. As long as he's having fun playing hockey, that's all that matters. When he turns 16, 17 or 15, even that's when you start worrying about it. But 12, 13, 14, let him do whatever he wants to do and keep the passion for the game. And uh, as long as he's developing and having fun and being creative, he'll be fine. So when you get, words of advice like that from a person like that, it, it takes, it makes those deci- decisions a lot easier. It was easier to let Tegan decide to do whatever he wanted to do. So until he decided to be a soccer player, which, you know, <laughs> that's a different show. That's different. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's where I talk about in therapy. Uh, so now I want to talk about uh, these tryouts, uh, picking different teams to play for and, um, the different levels of hockey that we have available here in Utah. And I think Evan, the reason I had you on this show and I hope people see that I did this, uh, not, I'm not trying to sell your product or do your job for you, but I'm trying to clarify something that's been kind of bothering me that comes up and Nick, you're a perfect example of this, but forever we've had this, uh, you have to leave Utah to play tier one hockey. If you're going to go to the next level. And then you have a group here that's uh, the outliers, the or you know West Coast or all these different programs that have come and gone. West Coast has been here doing their thing for do you know how many years? Ten plus years now. I don't think it's that many. No, I, I think it's like six or seven. 
Okay. So the Dursos have been here and they've gone through some changes of, uh, of management. They've brought people in. They've tried to make the program better. They kind of got rid of parents and they've tried to make a legitimate tier one program. And I hear as a host of this show and as a guy that's around hockey quite a bit, I constantly hear about, well, yeah, that's, they're kind of tier one, but you know, I got to send my kid to Colorado or Nevada to play a tier one. And I'm like, why? This is the same league. They're playing in the same games. You can save tons of money and save. Eventually your kid's going to have to leave if they're going to play because at, at, you know, you have your tier one program, but if they're going to go play juniors, why not wait till they're that age when they're going to go play juniors somewhere? And I want to talk about the difference between junior leagues too, without trying to disparage anybody or anything. But can you tell us a little bit about what it's like to try to recruit for tier one locally, as opposed to when you leave. And then Nick, I want you to chime in on how important your steps were too. So Evan, what is it like to recruit locally and to hear parents talk to you and then to go elsewhere and hear the, hear parents talk to you when you make offers? It's uh, it's unique. Um, <laughs> you know, when I talk to people here, a lot of times it's, you know, they, they like, what I bring to the table or if they don't know me, you know, kind of what they've heard, but there's always, there's always this, but, and then when I talk to people, um, out of state, they're super excited that, you know, there's someone that coaches in a tier one organization that noticed their, you know, their son or daughter and wants them to, uh, that, you know, wants them to come play. And, you know, if they didn't play tier one that year, then it's all, oh, it's great. It's the next level. You know, it's the, the next step up. It's harder, better, you know, there's more eyes on it, whatever. Um, and then the biggest hurdle, especially with the four teens, obviously is, you know, leaving, leaving the, 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 the families. And that's not an, that's not an issue for the people here, you know um, you know, they, they don't have to leave to get, in my opinion, good coaching that's, you know, gone a path that a lot of them would like to go with college and pro and all that stuff. Um, and, you know, you can keep that extra time with your family, with the kids, you know, in, in a familiar environment to help them develop necessary skills. And, you know, it's, that, that's kind of the weird thing where people are way more excited out of state that I talk to about the potential. Um, but once again, their big thing is we're, you know, they're worried about leaving. And then the people here, it's like, oh, okay, you know, we've heard all this regardless of if it's true or not, but, you know, they have this big butt and then they look seriously about leaving when, you know, it's, it's just this weird kind of dynamic that is, is hard to talk through and make them understand that, you know, I, I consider myself, you know, from Utah now. So I don't think that they'll get a better beyond the hockey thing, a better advocate to try and push their kids to, you know, a, USHL North American league type situation than them leaving and going to another community where they're more familiar with the, you know, their, their group of kids or, you know, whatever the, the situation is where they're going. And people seem to like that idea, but their, you know, thoughts and actions don't quite link up with what they, they say like, Oh yeah, that's great. That makes sense. So do you see kids that are tier one kids that'll play tier two because they don't want to play West coast? Just because oh, yeah. of whatever, yeah. whatever the the picture that's been painted of West Coast in the in the past, yeah, for sure. Um, and that's kind of like what I alluded to before, where the like the private lesson stuff that I've been doing. A lot more people have kind of interacted with me at this point versus last year when I was just coming in. And you know, it, it's 
the feedback has generally been pretty positive and, you know, everything like that. And that's the, but is we heard this about the organization or this happens and um, sure there's been issues in the past, but not with me. It had nothing to do with me. It had nothing to do with how I like to run things or the standard that I hold the, the kids to, or where I'm trying to get everything going, you know, the, the, the direction that it's going. Um, you know, you, you look at the team that I had control over last year, the, the four teams from the start, we didn't have any of those issues that people say are issues. And so with now moving forward and me having a lot more decision-making and power, well, that's just kind of how things are going to be. You know, I, I understand the environment that, these kids deserve to hopefully maximize their potential on the ice and off the ice. You know, you learn a lot from the game for off ice stuff. Um, and so that's kind of where things, that's where they're going to be. And it's just, it's difficult when the phone call, you know, or the, the text or whatever should be, you know, 5%, 10% of all that, you know, BS. And it should all be hockey. And how can I help the kid? And, you know, what do they want to do ultimately? And, you know, situations like that. And, when you have to spend so much time on the other end, it's just kind of like, Oh, you know, it's, it's extremely frustrating. So one more question on this and then I'll get to, I want Nick's input on it, but is it a lot of times, do you think the kids are in and the parents have their own issues with it? And then the parents want more control of it. Like if, if you could just talk to the kids, say, Hey, here's tier one, you want it? And the kid would probably be yes. Right. Like, yeah, I, I think that's a big part of it. Uh, I also think there's a lot of misinformation. Um, a lot of times, especially last year, when I first started doing it, everyone I talked to was like, well, you're not going to have a team. I'm like, well, that's just not true. I just got hired. Like, it, there's going to be a team, you know? And same thing ran into a little, not as much of that this year, but once again, there's not going to be a team. Well, that's just not true. Um, someone I talked to was talking about practice times and schedules and um, last year we've had the same practice schedule for all three teams the entire year. Um, and they're like, Oh, well, there's this random time and there's this and it's here. And it's like, well, no, you know, obviously every season is different and you have to work with what's available. But from my experience, that problem, that big problem that you had just wasn't, it wasn't, there was just nothing to that. There was, there was no, nothing, no weight there. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's one of those things where I try and tell everyone, call me, talk to me. I'll tell you how it is. Cause there's no point in sugarcoating it or whatever. Like I don't have a kid on the team. I, I don't care. You know, I, I don't care who plays or who doesn't play. I don't, I'm not trying to further an agenda for myself whatsoever. I just want these kids to hopefully have an experience in hockey, at least similar to mine and hopefully better, you know, hopefully they go to different places, play in some better league, you know, what, whatever they they want to do. And, you know, to, to constantly have to fight against all this other stuff is just like, who's, who's trying to benefit from this? Is this to benefit the kids and the, the hockey community here where, you know, there, there's, there's good groups of players here that if everyone could just get on the same page and play together, who knows what could happen then? Cause it's, you know, it's like, Oh, well, I don't know if we can be competitive. Well, yeah, it's, it's tougher to be competitive when one person goes to one state, one person goes to another and, three go play for, you know, a double A team where, um, you know, they're not being challenged to help them maximize their potential as much. And it's like, you know, trying to get everyone on the same page is it's like hurting cats. I mean, it's tough. You know, everyone kind of has 
you know, their own idea and agenda that's been fueled, I think, by, like I said, the kind of misinformation or, you know, trying to benefit someone versus the actual reason why you should want to do this and help the kids out. Yeah, that makes sense. Nick, tell us about uh, the steps that were important to you in this process of getting out of the state and making it as far as you've made it. Um, yeah, the lay of the land was a little bit differently. I'm not sure exactly what it is now, but, um, we had a good kind of group of us, probably like two or three, maybe four kids in my age group and up and down that were like really competitive. And, uh, I think brought Utah hockey, um, kind of put them on the map in a sense of like, okay, Utah has some good players. Um, I, for my personal decision to leave, uh, my brother, my brother left and then came back and, um, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a really gray area, you know, like you have to do what you think is best for your kid or if, you know, whatever for yourself. Um, I just thought that, you know, my end goal is the NHL. And at the moment, I didn't think, uh, it was competitive enough in Utah. And when you had a weaker team and you'd go play these out of state teams and you just get smacked and it's like, you know, you get two on one, three on one, when they know there's only a certain, certain few guys that they need to shut down. You're not really getting better. You're just getting more frustrated with the game. So I think for me, it was a, a time to challenge myself against better players and, uh, kind of test myself and really just see if I could do it on my own and honestly leaving Colorado or leaving Utah it was an absolute wake-up call I realized oh okay like there's other hockey players in the world not just like you know me and a couple other guys in Utah that can play so I think uh it's kind of goes both ways like if your son or daughter is absolutely dominating at a certain level then yeah you need to look back and say okay we need to we need to challenge them a little more but I think as you get older, the the development versus challenging yourself uh, kind of narrows. So I think development, you know, up until, like you said, 15, 16, 17, I think that's when you really need to start thinking, okay, am I, am I going to try to do this? Like, what's my end goal? Is it college? Is it just keep playing to have fun? Or is it I want to make the NHL? Because once you define that goal, then you can kind of go from there and you see the routes that people take and it's, it's juniors. Uh, it's, you know, triple a until really late. Some guys go straight to college from triple a and it's just, it's a, such a different path for everyone that you can't say X and O and do this and do that. But I do, I do think that it helps. Um, I do think that it helps to think about, uh, what you really want and, and what your end goal is. And once you figure that out, I think you can kind of map out how to get there. Yeah, for sure. And, and you left, uh, West coast was just kind of starting. You, you and my son played together that one West coast year. Um, and things went really well with that team. I think there was a lot of development and you actually had somebody similar to what Evan had. You had a, you had a coach come in that had legitimate experience and knew how to kind of branch kids out, but mainly knew how to develop kids. Right, knew what it took to make the next step, <clears throat> and then you had, then you guys didn't really have anything else. But now we have 
multiple steps. And Evan is is McClellan going to be back this year? Is that the is that really going to happen, or do we know yet? Yeah, we're kind of just waiting for the government to stamp thing. a paper or something. Yeah, um, that's just kind of where everything that we've been told is it's it's good to go. It's just waiting for that timeline. So okay, so I mean, you have a guy that maybe scored the most important. They they say scored the most important goal in the history of the Edmonton Oilers, who's won four cups, I think, and has all that experience. You have Evan Stoffel, who's got 13 years pro. Is it 13 years? 17 13, years? 13 years. 13. So you have all those options now at coaching. And so you have guys that are set to develop and and know the path. And then not only do they know the path, but they have connections in all these things. And connections play a huge part of it, right? Because like when we were going through this deal with Mason Manick over the last few weeks, um, Mason's WHL season was ending and nobody was really advocating for him. So it's like, all right, I need to pull my task force together. I need to, I need to call Evan. I need to call Jordan Parisi and I need to use their, their network of people. And Evan's got a good network and Jordan's got a good network and you make some phone calls. And, and Nick, this is one of the things too we forgot to talk about is, is the fact that there were 10 less AHL teams to play for. There were 10 less East coast league teams to play for. So to get a guy jammed into a spot, like especially when the WHL ends the same week that the AHL ends, it was super hard to find a position for him. But we had the network. That, I mean, eventually we got him signed with Utah Grizzlies, which was kind of the easy part. But um, it's important for you to understand that, that your coaching staff has the development, has the experience, and has the best interest for your kid, and then also has a network for that next step. And Evan, you've got steps with, you know, with the USHL, with the NA, and then you have other programs that are like, hey, we can, we have really good connections with, you know, WSHL teams or whatever they're called this year, which I'm not bashing on those teams, but that's not legitimate. Um, that's, that's not going to help you get to the NCAA. They, they put one kid or two kids in the entire league into NCAA Division Three usually, where you could get guys helping you get to the NCAA division one or get you into the USHL, which puts a ton of guys, you know, or, you know, these other uh, tier one, tier two, junior A leagues. Um, So Gary, when you hear all of this as a parent and you are shopping your kid around and you're like, Hey, what, what organizations are we going to go look at this year? And you've mentioned the junior Grizzlies and, and that's a great organization. The Eagles are a great organization. Mm-hmm. Um, Park City. When you, when your kid decides they want to play at at a level, what kind of feedback are you hearing through the channels about those programs? You don't have to mention the programs, but where are you getting feedback, and what kind of feedback are you hearing? Uh, well, you get all sorts of uh, feedback about uh, what's going to be happening during the season or the uh, upcoming tryouts and stuff. You know, and like for me, uh, you know, both of my kids played for the uh, Junior Grizzlies. One's ten, and one's fourteen. But um, haven't really played, you know, Park City, uh, you know, and then the, with the Eagles or anything. Played for the Wolves a couple of years ago, but uh, but they they just did, everybody talks about um, you know who's going to be coaching. And there was some guys I think on our team last year that were on another team the year before, about five of them. And um, I, I guess you know there was a coaching change or something wherever they played and they decided they wanted to come play at the Grizzlies and they did. You know, 
I, uh, I think an aspect that we haven't really talked about is um, what does the kid honestly want? If the kid is having fun playing hockey, loving it, there's no pressure from the parents. And that's one thing, but I think I've ran into more parents that have wanted it for their kids in Utah sometimes than the kid wanting to play. So I think a big part of it is letting the kid decide if he's having fun playing hockey and not forcing all this pressure on him to, to go play for this program or that program, or do you need to go out of state? It's like, does the kid, does he want to go out of state? Like back to like what I was saying was like, what's your goal here? Like, what are you trying to accomplish? Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's exact. That's exactly right. My son, um, he wants to play for the Grizzlies again. He had a great experience with coach. Coach Barry was awesome to him and he learned a lot kind of breakout season really. And uh, I had talked to one of the other organizations like, like, Hey, you know, you had to come to tryouts. And I'm like, well, okay, I'll talk to my son. And I said, Hey, these guys, you know, you want you to try out. And he's like, no, I'm going to play. I want to play for Barry. It's like, nice. cool. Perfect. You know, perfect. <laughs> you know, I don't care what it does. I just want, want him to be happy. You know? Yeah. And that's Nick, Nick, you're knowing it there. It's, it's one of those things. And, and I said it all the time because I got a ton of pressure about my son being a two sport athlete. And I remember uh, my son went to tryouts for the top team at the, at the time. And the coach said to me, he said, Hey, look, you're a hockey guy. Your son wants to be a hockey player. You guys need to stop with this, with the soccer. And I said, look, my son's 15 years old at this point, he could want to be a pirate or, you know, a Jedi next year. And I have to support that. I have to back that. I can't, I'm not going to try to guide his ship and decide what he wants to be. If he wants to play both sports and you're not going to allow him to play both sports, then we'll find somebody that will. And if that means not playing on the top program, so be it. Like that's that, the, the goal for him. Wasn't necessarily at that point to go to the NHL. The, the goal was to have fun. Mainly he wanted, there was one of his best friends, wherever his best friend played, who ended up going and playing uh, major juniors up in Canada. Um, wherever that kid played, that's where my son was going to play because they were best friends and they were just kind of together. And, you know, you just kind of have to get out of the way of that. And I think that's the biggest part of this is that if your kid wants to play tier one and wants to, and maybe doesn't want to, you know, leave the state or whatever. There's options here. There, There's an option here and it's a good option. If your kid wants to play tier one, get out of the way. Stop the drama. Stop, stop listening to the other feedback in the line that you're getting from, you know, other teams that need to build their rosters too. I've been in that situation where Nick, you were part of this too. I had, well, like I thought I was going to have one of the best teams I've ever put together. And I thought we'd have a basically nonstop ticket right to the national championship. And then this was the 15, 16 year age. And I got a ton of static in the line. I had like you left the state, which was great. I mean, that was that was the best option at the time for you. And then I had other players that left our organization to go to other travel team organizations because one of their friends got to play for free or whatever. So we went from well, we still ended up almost making the national championship, but it's just one of those things where you're like, man, if we would have had one more guy or two more guys, you know what I mean? Could have made the difference. Yeah. I mean, you know, you lose a game by a goal that would have put you in the national championship. Who knows? Yeah. Because we had static in the line, right? Yeah. That's one of the biggest things that I try and explain to people is that there's an extremely viable option if you've made the decision that you want to try and pursue hockey, you know, 
beyond just club rec, whatever. Um, you know, the, you talked about the two sport athlete thing. I played multiple sports until uh, my junior year in high school when I turned 16 and I went to play tier two junior eight. That was when I made the ultimate decision. Hockey is what I want to do. Now, going into uh, high school, I was pretty big into baseball and I stopped doing that. I'm like, I'm going to play other sports. I did track, football, cross country because I wanted to me. I was like, all right, it's fun. I can hang out with my friends. I can develop athleticism. And I was able to make that work with hockey. But then when I made that ultimate decision, it was okay. now it's time to move on and put my focus in this. And, you know, there's once again, it's there's a viable option here to nurture that thought process, that environment, that kind of, um, you know, it, it allows kids to see where they stack up against other top kids in a competitive environment. So when they ultimately make that decision to focus solely on if it's hockey, I don't know, you know, it might be something else after they play that it's, it's here and they don't have to leave to go somewhere else. And also, you know, like I was kind of saying, even at the pro level, everyone's coming from where they were the man and you're not guaranteed if you go out of state, say your kid's good, but he's not like absolutely like head and shoulders above everyone. There's a chance he could go out of state and get put on the third, fourth line. And it's like, yeah. you're just wasting your time and the kid's not developing. So, yeah. And going to those same tournaments, same team, same yeah. eyes on the games, you're going to get a lot more touches. You know, exactly. it's, you might be third, fourth line, maybe playing PK, or you could be on the second power play at the same events being in, you know, scouts, they exactly. might go to watch a certain player, but they're watching everyone. So if you have a standout game, you'll get that check mark. And I tell all people, that's how I ended up going to Vermont was they came to watch other players, but I played good. So that started the recruiting. And when you're in that situation, getting especially good touches, you know, you it, at that point, it's in the player's hands. You know, you we can give them all, you know, the options and the training and, you know, whatever, but they ultimately have to take what they're learning and show that they can do it. And at that point, that's the best situation to be in. Yeah. And that's, that's huge too. And it, it's one of those things <clears throat> we talked about this in the past with Utah goalies used to be the one that we were on these teams that were uh, outmatched and we were getting, you know, 40, 50 shots a game. And this goes down to JP for easy too, where I'd say, Hey, I've got this kid that's uh you know, we're playing in this tournament. He's seeing 40, 50 shots a game, and uh, he's making, you know, 45 sh- saves a game, and we're only losing three, four, five to one or, or nothing. And he says, yeah, I don't care about that. Like, I'm not going to go watch a goalie that's in a blowout game because there's no pressure. Sure, he could see 100 shots, and but there's no pressure at that point. If he gives one up, no big deal. So he's he, he taught me that they're going to look at guys that are in these – and other situations where they're being pressed. So, yeah, that team may be giving up a ton of shots or whatever, but they're going to go through and look at, all right, who's on that PK and doing everything they can in that situation, right? Because you, whatever team you're on, the situations that you're going to be in that are the more critical situations, the more intense situations are going to be the ones that coaches are like, I want to see this guy under pressure. I want to see what this guy's like under pressure. And if they're watching one power play, they're going to see the other penalty kill, right? So you've got to make the most out of those opportunities. If they came to watch this guy that's the best guy on the power play, they're going to see who matches up against the, in the penalty kill. Like I said, Evan, that could be your chance to make 
to turn that guy's head be like, Hey, I came to watch the number one power play guy in the world. And this guy shut him down or, or stopped half his, you know, attempts or whatever. So yeah, those opportunities are there. You just have to be on the ice in order to take advantage of them. And if you get shipped off to wherever, who knows what's going to happen. At least here, you've got more chance to develop. You can work with the coach during the summer. Did I get off on a tangent there? Am I on the right thing here? Kind of the right path. But that's, that's what I'm going for. Right. Right. So, um, all right. We're, we're hitting about our mark where they like us to, uh, keep these short. So I want to go around the horn here and, uh, Gary, do you have anything else to add to this? No, man. But I, I, I am glad that masks are gone. So, uh, cause the, the rinks, they did a real good job this uh, season, you know, um, pretty strict with uh, wearing masks and stuff everywhere. And, uh, I, everybody, Abide, abided by it pretty much because they want to keep hockey around, you know, because we felt like we were real lucky to have a hockey season this year. But uh, it'll be nice to uh, get back to some normalcy. Yeah, that's been super nice. And for those that don't know, uh, masks are recommended but not required, like at the Maverick Center. So when you go to watch the Grizzlies games, which they have games coming up this, this next week, and then they're going to have playoffs, they'll be at full capacity. Awesome. With, and I didn't wear a mask. And it's nice to be able to sit there and talk and not have a mask on. That's great. Um, Evan, do you have anything else you want to add? Here's your here's your, uh, here's your your elevator sales pitch to get guys to come to your team. <laughs> yeah. Um, June 5th and 6th are tryouts. Um, I would love to see everyone there. Um, I Lately, when I'm not on the ice, I'm on the phone trying to call people in-state, out-of-state, just everything, trying to put together a good uh, – a good competitive team. Um, you know, if I haven't talked to you, reach out to me. If you have my number, um, email address, I know there's stuff on Facebook and stuff. There are ways to get a hold of me. Uh, I would love to talk to everyone. Realistically, I can't, um, time. Um, and I don't have everyone's contact information. Um, I like to think I'm pretty approachable and, you know, like I said before, I'll, I'll tell you how it is and you know, how I see things and, and, um, yeah, uh, you know, it's there's a good group of hockey players here. It's just let's get them all on the same page. Let's get them all challenged and playing at that ultimate level so they can see where they stack up and, you know, have them hopefully realize, okay, this is what I want to do and this is where we can go and this is what we can where we can take it and, you know, getting them in front of the people that can make that happen. And like I said, I'm not they're not going to find a better advocate than me for them to try and get there, you know, so. June 5th and 6th at the Oval. Um, sign up on the, the, the website, westcoastrenegades.com. And, uh, you know, I hope to see you there. And, uh, yeah, if anyone's interested in lessons at a private rink, also I do that. Um, you know, even just chat about hockey. Hopefully I can help people make at least educated decisions. Now, whether that's with me or not, you know, I'll be honest with them and hopefully give them a little bit more education on my experience after talking to my parents, their experience with hockey and, you know, and have them make a decision with at least the most knowledge behind that decision, you know, pros and cons to whatever option they take. So. Perfect. Perfect. All right, Nick, what about you? What's your, what's your sign off? I would just say, you know, as long as your kids having fun playing hockey, I think you're in business. Just let their path organically happen. Don't force an issue or, stress on your child that's not there so as long as they're having fun with it I think uh, that's all that matters what's in store for you this summer just uh, stick around here and train and 
kind of skate at the barn. Yeah, lessons with Evan. So <laughs> nice. Yeah, you do some lo- lessons with Evan too. I've been doing lessons with Evan for like twelve years now, so he's a real deal. Perfect. Perfect. Okay, well, uh, I appreciate you guys. Uh, we're gonna. I think this is something we're gonna need to touch base on again, and I, we've got a few more things to talk about uh, next week. Like uh, Evan, you're talking about your parents' experience. I'm gonna have. Mason Mannix parents on, and we're going to talk about the whole ride um, as far as what it took to get Mason through all his stuff and, and even the financial part of that, because that's, that's another part that parents need to be aware of as they're, as they're moving to this, just because your kid plays in a, uh, you know, in a legitimate tier one hockey doesn't mean it's free. You know, there's a lot of expenses that come with that as well. So uh, you guys, thanks so much for being on the panel and, mm-hmm. If, uh, if anybody else has anything they want to add to, if you have questions that you want this panel to answer, please feel free to post on Facebook or uh, instant message me through the Utah Puck Report. I get a lot of those uh, weekly, and I get, a, I get a lot of questions about what's going on in the Grizzlies lineup. I don't always know. And I try to answer those questions for you as quickly as I, as I can, but uh, they used 72 players this year, so it was been, it's been hard to keep up with all the changes. So I appreciate those emails. Once again, we appreciate Jersey Mike's. Uh, I'll make sure you yeah. guys all get some. I'll make sure you guys all get some Jersey Mike's. Let's make uh, that happen. So, yeah, I'll make it happen. I'll make it happen, Gary. Okay, for now, that is the Utah Pucker. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear-gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor, Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.